0: Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast with Bob Hartley. For more information and to register for our Hope 365 email devotional, visit bobhartley.org. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: It's such a, a joy to be here and see everybody. Thank you for the atmosphere that you've already created. You know, more and more as I grow in the Lord and serve the Lord, I just believe atmospheric conditions are very important for the kingdom of God. And relational chemistry is a big part of that. And uh, I just feel a good... Healthy relational chemistry here this morning. We want to thank uh, the City Life Church and Dave and Becky for their hospitality to host us uh, today. Uh, we're a part of Deeper Waters. It's kind of getting folded into this group. Uh, it has a nickname called the Voice of Hope, and so we're a part of this Voice of Hope thing that's going on. And the guy that just adored the Lord uh, with us was Bob Hartley. If you don't know Bob, to my left. <laughs> And um, we'll be talking quite a bit about this journey here today. Um, And this is Kevin Mangold, and uh, Kevin is kind of our historian and wise counselor on our team and a good friend. And Bob and Kevin and I, I'm Michael Sullivan, we've been friends for almost 30 years. Uh, So we've been walking with the Lord all these years, and there's a lot of neat things that have gone on to... To build, uh, to build something up, you know, to build something out. And we're getting more clear about that. It's really exciting times right now because it feels like the lights are going on and the puzzle pieces are coming together in a really neat way that we'll be talking about. So we're glad you're here. And, uh, Kevin, have you got anything you want to do
0: before we plow into the story a little bit? Well, yeah. The, uh, Michael in a minute is going to be sharing a little bit of some of the prophetic journey ...to give you an idea of what the Lord is doing right now and how it may apply to, to you guys specifically and, and to the Kansas City area and the world. And uh, before we do, what I'd like to do is uh, just share a little bit that will give you a context. Kind of define some of the terms so that you'll have a better context to understand what, what Michael's going to share in a minute. So in order to do so, we're going to go back to 1981. And that's when Bob met the Lord. And he encountered the Lord in this hotel room back in Chicago. I'm not going to go into the details. Michael may may in a minute. But the takeaway from that was he discovered that God wasn't like he had imagined or how he had grown up in the Catholic church. But God had a heart. That he actually was there. He sees. He cares. He feels. He has plans. Bottom line is he has a heart. And so he was gripped with that question after his salvation experience constantly of, Lord, what is on your heart? And a few months later, he was in Fort Collins, Colorado, and had a very dramatic uh, visitation, vision, where he got caught up to heaven. And... Uh, the essence, and again, Michael may go more, I'm sure he will, a little bit more in detail with this, but the essence of this, uh, visit, uh, that would be applicable here to define the terms is he got caught up, and part of this vision was he was taken up upon a hill, and he's overlooking, along with about, well, there are thousands of people, that about maybe 78, 80 that he actually, the Lord told him about. You know, people, and they're up overlooking the city, and the Lord ultimately says, "I am going to have cities and nations that love me well before I return, and that I am going to vindicate the greatness of my holy name." Ezekiel speaks of that prophetically, and uh, Habakkuk one five is another scripture that uh, certainly supports this idea, where it says. Look to the nations and be utterly amazed, for I'm about to do something that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, it, it, as evidence, even with that, then the Lord even at that time showed him five nations that He was going to touch, uh, as well as I think maybe seven cities. I'm not; I don't remember the exact number. Since that time, it has grown. Where the, Lord has shown him up to like fifty nations at this point in time that you know he's going to have that will love him well that will invite him in, and uh, this has always been on the heart of the Lord. You know that there would be sheep nations, you know, at the end that he would come back to uh, there in Matthew twenty-five. So the second question then is, well, Lord, how are you going to do it? And the Lord has told Bob. That that it's going to occur through a hope reformation. Now, you're all probably familiar, you know, with the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. Uh, This can be kind of defined as a a reformation of faith. It, It describes how we are saved. You know, by grace we're saved through faith, not of our own works, and and that kind of faith secures our hearts in the Father's love, and we're saved. It's wonderful. We we get that intimate experience. The Lord said there's a second Reformation that we're now entering into. And it's a hope Reformation. And it answers the question then not just how we are saved, but it answers the question then how then do we live? And it's by hope. The the first Reformation, I like to look at it much like in Song of Solomon 1. The bridegroom The king invites his bride into his bedchamber. You know, it says, The king has invited me into his, you know, into his chambers. And she is just in love. But then it says, later in chapter two, she notices he's out, you know, my beloved is upon the mountains, leaping upon the mountains. And he's beckoning her. And later in chapter two, then he actually comes to her. And invites her out to discover who he is. That there's more. It's kind of like a marriage. There's more than just the honeymoon. You now have a marriage. You now have a life together. Of walking together. And this is what the whole Reformation is. That how do we live out this life. You know of righteousness. Peace and joy. How do we expand the kingdom. Upon the seven mountains. And of course the initially. You know the bride says, well, I sought him on my bed. She doesn't respond initially to the invitation. It's like, hey, this was wonderful. You know, the intimacy just, you know. I sought him upon my bed. But then she says, but I could not find him. So then she gets up and goes out into the city to find her beloved. And that's where we're at now. The Lord has invited us to come out of that first chamber of that wonderful place of intimacy and discover the God of all of life how we are to live life now and and so that's the hope reformation and the third question is who's going to do it through and you'll hear Bob and Michael talk about hope reformers and these are people that have a third perspective they're the Joshua's and Caleb's the they're able to view life and see life, not as the world sees it, not just through their natural eyes, but a third perspective from the vantage point from seated with Christ in heavenly places through the eyes of the Lord, His promises. Now, yes, you know, just like Joshua and Caleb, they saw the giants. But no, no, our God's bigger. You know, it's not that you're oblivious to circumstances, that you're focused is over here on the greatness of who He is and His ability. Hope is simply this. It's the confident expectation of the goodness of God, of who He is, His true nature. And just like, you know, even Bob prayed this morning, you know, David's birth. I would have despaired if I had not believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, hope is that which ties us to that place. Just like Jesus said, you know, not only am I on earth, but he's speaking to Nicodemus. He says, I'm also in heaven right now. I'm in the kingdom. And all of us right now are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hope is what enables us to see that invisible, to hear that inaudible, to touch the intangible, and to do the impossible. When we can, like Jesus, say, I only do what I see my Father doing, I only say what I hear him saying. That is to be normal Christian life. That is New Testament Christianity, but without hope, we kind of put that off into the age to come. And, and Jesus said, "No, no, no! It's better even that I go, because then you get the Holy Spirit, just like I have, and you get to enter into this today." Now, granted, it's a it's a journey, and we'll talk about that. You know, you know. Yeah. It's a wonderful journey, this journey of hope. It's a lifetime journey, you know. Not that we will ever arrive, you know, but we arrive with Him and we go through that uh, that journey. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Okay. So Kevin's kind of set a table for us, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an overview of a very, very amazing story. It's uh, it's the story of Bob's life, and uh, he wouldn't tell the story <laughs> the way that I will. Uh, because it feels a little uh, self-serving, but I, I've been studying uh, this journey, and I've been interviewing him, spending a lot of time with him over the last couple of years, and the more that I have listened to these visitation experiences that Bob has had, the more profoundly it's been uh, affecting me, and it's just fitting together in a, in a pretty amazing way. Now, one of the things that Bob's kind of known for, and some of you have Exposed to this probably is uh, like a a word of knowledge or personal prophecy ministry. He's given, you know, hundreds and hundreds of uh, words of knowledge to people that the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 that when prophecy happens, the secrets of people's hearts are revealed and they fall down and they say, God is in this place. And they don't say, Oh, what an amazing prophet of God. They say, Oh, what an amazing God of the prophets, you know. And that happens through Bob's ministry a lot. Um, it happened just the other night uh, in, a, in a small group where we were waiting on the Lord together, and He had specific sentences that were secrets of people's hearts. That just—it's just amazing. It's beautiful. But I have a, a working theory that these hundreds and hundreds of words of knowledge and personal prophecies—that is wonderful, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's fast food. You know, it just builds people up instantly. It's like, wow, God knows me and cares about me and shepherds my heart and he's been with me even in the past when I didn't perceive him. It's that kind of awareness that hits people's hearts. But I believe that this wonderful word of knowledge ministry that the Lord has given to Bob is for a bigger purpose than just to encourage individuals. But it is to draw our attention to some major visitations that he has that are not just for individuals, but they're literally for the the globe. They're literally for the world. And it sounds incredible, but I want to give you a reason to believe it's credibly incredible. It's believably unbelievable. Uh, so, so that's part of my desire today. There are many other people who've had visitations from the Lord. I've had visitations from the Lord. Kevin has as well. And, and that's great, but I want to focus on the ones that Bob has had today and, and in this season because they are a string of pearls, and that's what the Lord showed me. In fact, we're going back to remember these pearls that are visitations from Christ to Bob that have an implication for all of us. And when you string the pearls together, and this is a theory in memory, and it's a theory in uh, uh, apologetics. You put pearls together into a string and it builds a necklace and suddenly you have a reason to believe something. And, and that's what I want to do. Is I want to build your hope and your faith in this testimony. It's, and the Lord has spoken to Bob very recently about the importance of the word of our testimony. And so today is a testimonial. And um, so I'm going to go through uh, real quickly and highlight 12 major visitations that Bob has had, and I, I won't elaborate on them to begin with, but then we'll probably come back and elaborate on a few and give Bob a chance then to insert and inject. But I want to give you the, the uh, panorama view to begin with. Kevin already referred to uh, one of these, but I want to go back before that to 1970, all right? So this is over 40 years of a storyline in his life where Jesus has visited him. Jesus first visited him when he was 12 years old. He was, uh, he was skipping out of church regularly to go to this place he called Cubby hole. And um, and he would he would sit in this cubby hole, he had mad magazines and other par- paraphernalia there that, that would keep him entertained while church was going on. He grabbed the bulletin, take the bulletin home to his dad and say, Leave I went to mass, Dad, see? But but he was skipping out. So and, and one of the reasons he skipped out was because he viewed God as distant and austere and unapproachable and and not really close by or friendly. But he kind of got bored with his little games that he played. And he started to just feel the need or the desire to pretend about God. To pretend that God was maybe nice. To pretend that God was nearby. To pretend that God cared about the details of people's life. To care to, to pretend that God was a friend. And God was approachable. and And as he started to pretend then something miraculous happened in that cubbyhole. And he had his first visitation. That cubbyhole lit up with the presence of God. And Bob began to be seated with the awareness that God was different than he imagined him to be. That he was beginning to experience what we now call this healed and expanded view of God. And this is a deep conviction in our hearts that we have... Uh, we have a knowledge of God; He's revealed Himself to us. But our knowledge of God is still not that great. There's much, much more to know about God. And not only is there a healed and expanded view of God, but there's a, along with that, following in its train, a healed and expanded view of who we are, and then a healed and expanded view of who other people are, and then a healed and expanded view of the earth. And what God intends to do on the earth. And he healed an expanded view of the future. And so the, the kind of reformation, this hope reformation that's going on, is about a, a better view about many, many things. So, um, so one of the things that the Lord told Bob when he was 12, he asked him a question. He said, how are we going to change the world together? The Lord asked him, that. how are we going to change the world together? Now that we have this better view of who I am, how are we going to partner? How are we going to change the world together? And he and he had a token of this Hope Reformation happen when he was 12. And his teacher in sixth grade asked him to help her with two girls that were just marginalized and rejected. And Bob received his first words of knowledge for these two girls. And he saw one as a writer and one as a speaker. And they never imagined themselves to be that. But he encouraged them. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, not even realizing the dynamic of it himself. But he was empowered to encourage these two girls. And and there was a hope reformation that happened in the sixth grade class. And Bob was the catalyst for this Hope Reformation in the sixth grade class. So that was just a token. It was an amazing, beautiful story. And um, so I would say that the big thing that comes out of the cubbyhole, 1970, is that God is our friend, and we can be friends of God. Then in, then, uh, in uh, jumping ahead to 1981, okay, so 11 years later, Bob's a, in his early 20s, and he's He's been uh, led, uh, been witnessed to by evangelicals who are telling him the four spiritual laws, and he ends up at this conference in Chicago. And um, and he had through the years gone through some hard times as a teenager, and some down years, and some difficult years, and kind of years of wandering in the wilderness as a young boy and a young young man. But in Chicago, 1981, he's he's in his early twenties, and uh, he dis- he just. Determines. He says, God, if this is real, if, if Jesus is really Savior and Lord, I want this. And he went into his room, his hotel room, and he uh, started to pray like this. And he determined he wasn't going to leave the room until something happened. And something did happen. And the presence of God came again. Like in the cubbyhole, the presence of God came into that hotel room. And Bob said his eyes were closed, but he could tell the whole room was lit up with the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and he, he had questions on his heart. Lord, where were you when I was in trouble? Where were you when my mom was sick? Where were you when these difficult things, these uh, challenging things, even tragic things were happening in his background? And that was his question. And you know, the Lord's presence answered that question. And he said, I was there, Bob. And he showed him, some ways that he was present even in those most difficult, dark times. Amazing. And this is a prophecy for all of us. God has always been there. He's always been there showing a face even though we didn't see it. And he will take us back sometimes to those experiences that are so painful and show himself. And that's what he did for Bob that day. And so Bob's, Bob's question changed. It went from, Lord, where were you when... These difficult things were happening. He has the encounter. He comes away with a question. Lord, you have a heart. That was the revelation. God is a God who has this big heart. A big heart of love and compassion. A heart of hope. A, a heart that he, he wants to be with people and show his presence. He was aware of that. And the question became, Lord, what's on your heart? What's on your heart? Not where were you when, but now it's, Lord, what's on your heart? Now that I know you have one. Right. And for six weeks, he was captivated by that question. Lord, what is on your heart? Lord, what is on your heart? I want to know what's on your heart. Wow. What a different approach to life. His life was revolutionized. He was saved. And um, and so then six weeks later in Fort Collins, Kevin referred to it uh, now. uh, January, I think probably 1982 is when this happened that Bob was walking around, he was at another conference, another Christian conference of all things, and he's walking around, and he has this sense of anticipation, of, God's going to encounter me today, I'm, I'm going to hear from God, the living God. And so he was, and he was getting ready for this encounter, and he ends up in a stairwell in the hotel, another hotel, and suddenly the, the Lord encounters Bob in a very dramatic way. And, he's, and he asks him a question, and he says this to Bob, Who are you? It reminds me of Jesus on the beach with Peter when he says, Do you love me? It's that kind of probing question. Who are you? It's a question about identity. And and this is one of the main messages of the Hope Reformation is about this new identity that God has called us to live in. And so, who are you? And he says, I'm your son. Kind of timidly. I'm your son. And the Lord said it again with more more, uh, earnestness in his voice. Who are you? And Bob says with more strength, I'm your son. And then the Lord said it again. And this is audible. He says it again. Who are you? And Bob yells, I am your son. And he said, Well then come up and see. And it was an answer to his question. What's on your heart? He wanted to show his heart to Bob. And so he was taken up into a heavenly place. And amazingly, in this heavenly vision and experience, he's shown four tragic events, four tragic scenes of earthly life. One of them was a a lady that he later met. And when he met her, he knew how to minister to her because of what he saw in the heavenly vision. Just a few weeks later, it happened. And he was able to bring hope into the life of this lady in a nursing home. But it was, it was four scenes of tragedy. Four scenes where Jesus is, is on the scene, but he's lonely because there's no junior partners working with him in these scenarios. And they feel hopeless. Four scenes like this. And they're just gut-wrenching scenes. And then the fifth scene that the Lord shows Bob is, is a vision of himself, the Lord. And he see, Bob sees the Lord high and lifted up like Isaiah did. And he fills the sky. And he's, in peels of white power are peeling off of him. And he is belly laughing. God is belly laughing. He's happy. He's a happy God. And Bob sees him in, in this way like never before. A happy God. And, and he's so shocked because of the juxtaposition between the first four scenes and the fifth scene. Here's this happy God high and lifted up. You know, full of joy, indomitable in his in his power and hope. And yet, he had just seen these four scenes of tragedy on the earth. And so Bob, is, he ends with this question, Lord, you, you know, what about the evil that you showed me? Where's the evil? Here you are, laughing, full of power, reigning over heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, he sees a little black dot come into the corner of the vision. And it comes into the picture, so small compared to the vision of God. And then the the black dot disappears. And the Lord says to him, Bob, that is all the evil of all time, of all mankind, throughout every age. It's, It's there for a short time, and then it's gone. It's swallowed up in who I am. It's swallowed up in my vastness, in my greatness. And this is fundamental. This revelation is fundamental to the Hope Reformation. Uh, A healed and expanded view of God and how great he is and how good he is and that he is nearby when hard things happen and that we must not pin the blame on him for whatever is evil in this universe. And and evil is going to be swallowed up ultimately. Well, that's Fort Collins. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead, and then we're gonna come back to these and let Bob elaborate a little bit. 1989. So so uh, seven years later now, after Bob's converted, Bob has been a youth pastor, and and he's uh, he's feeling this impulse like I've got to go and discover God, not just know God in the church world, but I've got to I've got to get out. And, and see the Lord in a bigger way. One of the dreams that came, one of the experiences that came, and I don't have a lot of details on this one. Bob could fill them in at, at some point. But it's, a de- it's the Deeper Waters dream. It's where we got the name for the ministry, the Deeper Waters. And basically, he, he was a youth pastor, and he saw these young people going down out of a house they left a the house and they were going down a pathway to a, 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 like a lake where there's very shallow water and they're they're so happy because they're going to play in the water and they're diving in but the water is like a foot deep or two feet deep and they, they couldn't see the bottom and they were diving in and they were breaking their bones and they were some of them were dying I think if I'm corrected they just were getting totally mangled by diving into shallow waters and there were and, but there was another path that they were supposed to go down and that path was a road less traveled and it had it wasn't you know as well it wasn't as well worn and so you had to kind of find that path but it led to deeper waters where people could jump into the deeper knowledge of who God is so that we will not perish so that we will be able to do the mission that God has called us to do, because we won't be able to accomplish the work that God's called us to do if we have a shallow knowledge of God. But we need a deeper knowledge of God. This is part of the Hope Reformation, and, it's, and this revelation ties into a number of others that that Bob has had in uh, 1990 a year later is when Bob started to really feel like I've got to leave this youth pastoring world and I am called into the marketplace I've got to get out and discover God that was the mission go out and discover God in all of life go out and discover God in the workplace go out and discover God in daily work and not just hide in the corner of the church and he had a dream a very vivid dream about these priests who were protecting jesus and he was there in their church and they had him in the corner of the church and they were surrounding him and they were protecting jesus like like jesus we want to protect you from getting out into this cold cruel world you can't go out there and jesus is like uh i'm not afraid you, know, you don't have to protect me. I, I can handle the culture. Don't worry. You know. And Jesus was like, I want to break out of the church. I'm not the God of the corner of the church. And he doesn't want his people to be holed up either in the corner of the church, hiding and ducking and fearing the culture. He wants us to get out and engage the world. He wants us to get out and engage the culture and represent Jesus Christ faithfully and bring his presence into every dimension of life. And so um, so Bob is sent out from being a youth pastor into the marketplace to be a janitor. He starts a janitorial company. And, and it was his delight to do so. And uh, he, took, he took delight in being you know, a person who deals with junk and waste and mess. And it's a great story, and it was many years, of cultivating this... this business, and then other businesses that spun off from it. And Bob was discovering the worship of God in a deeper way. He was discovering the deeper knowledge of God through his journey into the marketplace. And uh, there's a lot that we could say about that, but he learned how to hear God through devotion in those years. And he had visions of doorways. He'd be working in the night, and he'd have spiritual visions of doorways with a face of God that he'd never seen before on the doorway, the Lord beckoning him, beckoning him into that doorway. And this is where the Adoration Book, if you've seen the Adoration Book, this is where that material was cultivated, was in those years of faithfully laboring. So, many, many years, okay? That's 1990. Now I'm going to jump ahead to 2007, Okay so this is a whole lot of years of cultivating hope cultivating adoration cultivating a deeper knowledge of God in Bob's life and putting it he was a scientist he started to he studied the the scriptures he memorized the scriptures he had cards in his pocket while he was doing janitorial work and he could do his janitorial work and meditate on the Lord during the night and i want to tell you something too on a couple of occasions the Lord showed up in person while he was doing his janitorial work to let him know that he was with him and that he appreciated the work that he was doing out in the world to clean up junk and to clean up mess. And he had amazing encounters with Jesus Christ uh, in, those, in that time. Now I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to finish quickly and then Bob's going to share. So uh, all the way to 2007 in Norway, Bob's on a ministry trip and this is an amazing encounter the Lord stands in person at the end of his bed in the middle of the night. And he, he confides in him as a friend. And here's what he says. Bob, he calls him Bobby. Bobby, I hate this misery Christianity. And in essence, he said, I'm going to overturn it. I'm going to bring forth a new nature of Christianity before it's all said and done. And it's going to be a hope-filled Christianity. And he said this, This is not the tribulation generation. But this is to be the hope-filled generation. And so this is a healed and expanded view of the future. It's a healed and expanded view of the earth. The earth does not belong to the devil. The earth belongs to the Lord. And he's not done. He hasn't given up on the planet. And I want to tell you something else. That there was great warfare on the heels of this visitation. Satan hates this message. He hates it because it's a tremendous threat to him. And also in 2007, Bob had another major visitation. And this was something that... And, and by the way, not only are these visitations in the past... They come alive when we talk about them. They are living testimonials. And Bob has had repeated dreams about them. He keeps going back to them again and again. He sees new features that he didn't see the first time. It's really fascinating to listen to. They all fold together. It's creating a beautiful necklace of pearls. Two thousand and seven, he sees hope reformers on the mountains, and um, and it's uh, they're they're trying to climb the mountain. They're trying to get to the summit. But they have antiquated eyeglasses and antiquated hearing aids. And they don't have the proper clothing on uh, in order to ascend the mountain effectively. And they're getting waylaid by the devil. And they're getting caught and trapped in prisons of various kinds. And so Bob is watching this and then he's taken, and and he realizes others are taken as well, up to this heavenly place. And it was a literal visitation to heaven. And and Jesus is there, and he's inducting people into this classroom, and it was called the Classroom of Useful Information. I think that's so funny because it's such an understatement. Like, Jesus has some useful information for us, okay? And and so what happens in the Classroom of Useful Information is that people are, uh, Bob sees it, first of all, everybody who's willing gets to go into the class and gets uh, inducted into the course. You can't fail. You can't flunk out, but you just take the lessons over if you, don't, if you don't master them. And there are these five rows of chairs, and they represent five aspects of hope that we are to cultivate in the classroom of useful information. So the preparation for climbing the mountain and getting the right equipment, the advanced tools that we need to uh, uh, fulfill our mission, is about cultivating hope. Hope is a precursor to faith and love. And hope has been a Cinderella. That's what the Lord told me. He's been a Cinderella sister to faith and love. But she is a a queen. And we need to really beautify her and glorify this thing called hope, this virtue of hope. It's it's very, very vital. And in these rows, rows, we we graduate through lessons of hope. And our hope is challenged. That's how it grows. It gets challenged. And the first row is hope in God. Second row is hope in people. Next row is hope in the next generation. The next row is hope in prayer. And the next row is hope in cities and nations. And the hope reformers are going through their paces, going through these lessons. And when they graduated from the course, they were given uh, high tech eyeglasses, new vision, high tech hearing aids, and body armor that was suitable for climbing the mountain. And then since then, we've seen how there's new configurations of hope reformers getting roped together because you can't climb the mountain alone. You have to be roped together properly with other hope reformers to get there. There's a lot more to be said about that. And when they, when they graduated and when they ascended the, that mountain and accomplished what the Lord wanted them to do, they had power to go and seed the clouds with hope the clouds of the earth, seeding the clouds with seeds of hope. And then it would rain down on all of the mountains of the earth that represent different spheres of influence that are under oppression of the devil. And, and the rain cleanses the oppression off of the mountains. God's called us to penetrate the cultures. Okay, just a few more now. So 2010 um, is the tsunami And Bob sees five waves come across the earth of difficulty. And he's at 30 feet in hope, in the dream. But then the tsunami that's coming is 70 feet. And he's like freaking out. And suddenly the Lord catches him up into heaven again. And he's sitting with Jesus on a porch swing in heaven. And Jesus says, first thing he says, Bob, look at me. And Bob looks into the eyes of Christ. And in in essence, Jesus says, I can handle this. I have a divine solution and divine answers for every wave of difficulty that will come across the earth. I have my hope reformers in place, and I will give them answers. Also in 2010, a very important, and I'm writing an article about this right now for the Elijah List, is the lightning bolt experience. It's amazing. Bob has a vivid dream about a lightning bolt coming into the midst of hope reformers. Their their fissures, the the pains in their hearts are not healed. And under the weight of the glory, their fissures turn into fractures. And his own fissures turned into fractures. And And the Lord was saying, I want to heal the heart. Hope not only advances the heart, hope heals the heart. And he's given us now a word about how hope heals the heart. And it's very, very exciting. And God wants hope reformers' hearts to be healed. We won't be able to advance in hope until our hearts are healed properly, significantly. And uh, so he has the dream. He wakes up out of the dream. He walks down into his kitchen, and an angel is there and explains the dream to him. And it's about a lightning bolt from God that hits. That's what the dream was about. Well, while he's talking to the angel, a lightning bolt comes and hits right outside their house Okay, to confirm. And then the Lord tells him ten... Leaders to talk to around the world. He, he gets through to six of them while he's talking to one of them. That very night, a, this is another city, a lightning bolt hits in the backyard of the guy he's talking to while he's talking to him and splits a tree. So this is very, very important, the lightning bolt dream. All right, 2012. And I was there for this one in Redding, California. And an angel comes into the house and Bob has a 20-minute Bible study with an angel. Okay? And, and this, angel, this angel tells him, now is the time for the Hope Reformation to commence. Now is the inauguration. And there is a second chamber door into the deeper knowledge of God that we are being called into. And it's a beautiful revelation we've written about. And so uh, he gave Bob a couple of secrets. For Bill Johnson, we were at Bill Johnson's church at the time in Redding, California, Bethel Church, and he said, tell Bill these two things and he'll know this is a true revelation. The next morning, Bob was discombobulated, and um, that's a joke, and um, he, we went to Bill's office and we told him the two secrets and he said, that's right, it's exactly what happened. And he said, this is from the Lord. Amazing confirmation and a wonderful, wonderful revelation about the Hope Reformation I won't go into the details. But basically, it's about a second Reformation. I mean, this is how massive this is. We all know about the First Reformation. There's a second Reformation underway. And it's about what Kevin said it's about drawing believers into this relational space where we, like Jesus, are going to be able to see what the Father's doing and do that. We're going to be able to hear what the Father's saying and say that. And that's what causes these great works to be done. Uh, 2013 I'm not going to elaborate the God of the trump card God is going to suddenly reverse the fortunes of his people by playing trump cards and Kevin had this amazing dream two weeks ago or three weeks ago you ever played the game war card game war you flip over a card right against your opponent and whoever has the higher card gets all the cards right well he's playing the game of war with the devil and the devil deals out the deck and he cheats and he looks at his cards and he's got all the kings and aces in his hand And Kevin's like, you know, Lord, how am I going to win this game? And the Lord says, watch what I'm going to do. Do you believe me? Do you hope in me? He said, yes. So they they put down their first cards. Tie. They put down a couple more. Tie. They put down a couple more. It's a tie. They get down to their last card. Kevin's got a three. (laughs) (laughs) He puts it down. The devil puts down his two. And Kevin gets all the cards. Sudden reversal of fortunes, right? Trinity beats division. That's what I say. And finally, finally, recent dream. Bob realizes in this dream, he's, all these years, 40 years, okay, 40 year journey, prophetic journey of visitations. This one is about, he's walking along and suddenly he comes upon a hole in the ground, a giant hole in the ground. And he looks down and it's 20 stories deep. And he realizes that all that has gone ahead, all that's gone before, is simply digging a foundation. Digging a big foundation for a big, big building. And I believe that that's where we are right now. That, that this has been preparatory in nature. And it's going to catch fire. It's going to go viral. And the body of Christ, and we're going to be surprised at the kind of believers that and unbelievers that respond to this. All over the world, there is a second Reformation foot and the Lord has dug the foundation for it. So, there you go, Bob.
2: Your turn.
0: Amen.
2: <coughs> you tell the story better than I. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'd like to you know this has been the first time that really Michael just presented it from A to Z. It's been interactive, and, and uh I really appreciate that, Kevin. the foundation you laid um, you know, so there was a lot said. I think if I would just recap a few highlights that I think are important, um I'm Bob, it's kind of funny to hear somebody talking about you and you're sitting right there, you know. <laughs> It is fun. But Matthew, it's real clear. It says the prophets and the scribes go to gather. And I'm not calling myself a prophet. I think the Lord has called me a scout. And uh, the Genesis 18:17. I want to live out of that place where he speaks that his friends hear him. You know, Abraham, he said, I wouldn't hide anything from my friend. And so there's a desire that, back to the cubby hole, where I didn't have that expectation. I was brought up a... Uh, little Catholic boy and I I didn't you know Catholic is okay but I, was, I had the gift of obnoxiousness so I had learned the severe and distant God through the nuns and <laughs> <You know>, my <laughs> sister Gertrude did not like me so but also I was having a lot of family challenges and we had been a family of love and my mom had been uh, bedridden through an injury to her back so, so it was a painful time so I went into this cubby hole with uh, my I was really alone you know and uh, felt that he was distant and so well, it was pretending that he was good and that he would be my friend and, and uh, I realized at a point I wasn't pretending and really just uh, what's so significant about for all of us again is you know you kind of you float uh, we just kind of merge out of the picture, flow down the picture and God has something he's saying and that's what Michael was sharing. It's I experienced something but God has something he's saying. He had territory I get to scout and all of you have territory that if we listen to your stories that it'd be part of our journey you know and would help us in our journey. but uh, the cubby hole uh, a real important distinctive, was uh, the severe and distant God, I felt, like, I felt like I was all alone in life, and I had really moved into self-strength, even as a young boy. You know, I'm going to have to pound it out and make it on my own. And he opened up for me. I thought I was pretending, but I had a journal, and I've written in notebooks since a young age. i got hundreds of thousands, too many notebooks. But, I started to write, and it was really a plan for the earth, how to change the world. He said, I don't want you to live in survival, tactical mode. I want you to live in building mode. And that was a whole different, I was just going to, you know, fight hard and barely make it. And so he really rolled out in 2012 in that cubby hall, a proactive plan that was filled with hope, like Nehemiah, i seen a city in rubble, it was really a Nehemiah encounter in Nehemiah 2.12 where he really rolled out a blueprint for my life and 50 million hope reformers. Now, I didn't know it was 50 million at the time, but I just had a vision of cities and nations and and there was a point where I realized I I wasn't pretending that he really loved me and I was really a friend with him and he was really going to do this on the earth. And So the coming home was, you know, obviously a very, very, very important encounter, but hope is tested. It was challenged, and, you know, the next experience with the Chicago hotel room, I had experienced a lot of tragedy. Ended up a drug dealer for a few years. Ended up in things that I never thought I'd do, you know. And for him in that hotel room, for two days, I really accused him. I said, where were you, God, when these things happened? And, um, that's where he shouted at me and said, where were you? I tried to protect you underneath my umbrella of love and I could see I had such a wrong view of him. I, it was really Second Samuel 22 that Michael shares a lot. The experience about hope and about confidence in God. He was saying, look, if you look at me, I'll take all the puzzle pieces of your life and I'll show you that i am so-so with your house. I've so ordered all things. And there was... A litany of times where I felt so alone, like I moved out and lived in a Volkswagen for a while, close to this, you know, area. And uh, he showed me how my older brother would put twenty dollars in my car door. I knew that because he was the only one that had a key to my Volkswagen, you know. And I, I would, I'd probably, you know, I would have really struggled without that twenty dollars. And he shouted, "That was me." A little boy drowned in Inner City Pool, Grove Pool. I was lifeguard there, and he died in my arms. And uh, they kept him alive on a machine. But in the Chicago hotel room during this time, the Lord spoke to me. The father of the boy, Little Willie, uh, would tell me, Hey, I'm going to lose Little Willie, but don't let me lose you. I'm the one who let his boy drown And we ended up the best of friends. I stayed there for seven days and nights while his boy was kept alive on the machines, and then they pulled the plug. But you know, just uh, you know, this father, you know, that I was the one who let his boy drown. She hated me, loved me, and I would go away and hit the elevator door I'd punch it as hard as, I just couldn't accept that kind of love, you know and, they, and the Lord shouted to me in that Chicago hotel room, that was me, you know and so there was a hope for who I was, there was a hope for my future but I had such a spirit of negation, that doubt the Lord should, you know, give me a visitation where he showed me doubt was a uh, socially accepted disease among the body of Christ or down addicts. And it's worse than heroin. And that, you know, to believe in hope, man, I just get people that just really get mad at you. To believe in hope that God can be bigger. And so that, that Chicago hotel room was replaced then where he opened up, as Michael said, uh, his heart, And I went away with this real distinction, Michael, is uh, that I didn't realize he was a God with a heart and that he was there and I had been accusing him. And so I came out now wanting to care for his heart. That was the real emphasis. I just kept saying, what's on your heart? You know, misunderstood who you are and not treated you appropriately. So that led me to Fort Collins where Fort Collins, is just significant for us, was just the the Dawn of Evil, and I won't review all the experiences, but it was really an invitation at Fort Collins. You you have seen the four tragic scenes, which are real on the earth. You know, I mean, I felt his emotions and measure what I could handle with this, you know, nursing home woman and the different scenes. I, I can't go there, but he... Spoke to me and he said, "You can be a prisoner of misery and see the sorrow and feel the weight of it." And he said, "Or you can do what I've called you to do in us as a people." And he said, "It's really vacated the body of Christ." And he said, "You can start with hope." And then that's when he took me to the scene and showed me him as high as the sky and just the dot of evil that was there and gone for the ages. And he said the emphasis, the hermeneutical balance, the understanding of who I am, it's just not right. And about that time, I got a call from a friend, his name's Bob Jones, and some of you have heard from him, and he said, Hartley, you're the heart of God and the heart of hope. And he said, it's golden treasure, the God of hope, these forgotten faces of God. And he said, it's been buried for 6,000 years. And Isaiah 45, it was dramatic. You know, he called me up in front of about 1,200 people, and He gave me a golden key. And he said, you're going to dig up this golden treasure of this face of God, the God of hope. And he said, I hate the misery Christianity, which Michael spoke of. And he said, I hate the Jeremiah 31. It says, you feed the children on sour grapes, fathers.' It says, you put the children's teeth on hedge. He said, feed them hope. You know, steal a man's anything, but don't steal his hope or a woman, it's the reality of who God is. And Jeremiah 32, he took me through to Jeremiah 31, 32, 33, and I, we've talked a lot, so I don't want to overspeak. but just the reality that there'd be these hope reformers and they'd have the best view in town, that they see the challenges, but in the light of the greatness of God, they'd be in these First Kings 18's fathers, the patriarchs, the mothers and fathers, and you can be that at a young age, They do the Deuteronomy 6. He showed me. Deuteronomy 6 talks about, you'll teach them as they stand, sit, and as they go along the journey of life. Your children, every minute. But it's not the Word just isn't a teaching. The Word is about you share with them. Psalms 111, tell about the good deeds of the Lord. All those who study them. Just not wow, but meditate them. Tell, Tell your children about who God is and the greatness of who he is. Say, my sons and daughters, this is what he did. And my sons and daughters would help me go on that journey where I, business almost failed. And I said, well, being a janitor is hard. We had 120 employees and, you know, lots of challenges. But I'd say, here, he was the good shepherd. My sons and daughters, I didn't know how to come in or go out. And he led me, put me over his shoulders and carried me. And here's the God of redemption. We had $300,000 stolen. And, here's how we saw the face of God to redeem this situation by children that's in Deuteronomy 6 and then all of a sudden they start to see not just a challenge but the greater than solution in who he is and then it says in Deuteronomy 6 7-10 it says that what will happen to the children children will believe and they'll move past the law of sowing and reaping they'll move into the law of hope and blessing and they'll inherit splendid cities they did not build and I'd be a hope heretic if I shared, I'd be called that, if I, share, if I shared what I saw about, like, the nation of Norway, the encounter there. We met with 12,000, and the president, and the next president, met with 10 to 12 presidents. Not important I am a janitor, you know, that's what I do as a business, and a few others, but... But the reality of just going in and them bringing all this darkness and cynicism spewing out of their factories, cynicism, and their suicide rate amongst their youth going just up twenty percent a year, and going in there, and I they challenge me because I tell them to invite God in. Now they invite you, but then you know their pains and their perplexities. God has let them down. Brilliant people that I said, in all your complexities, you are miserable. My simplicity, trusting the God of hope, I'm pretty happy, content. But also I just say, tell me how your way is working. You know, and then there's a different way for us. There's a different understanding of who God is and a different understanding of how he's working in the planet. And there's ten hope centers. I'll just finish with this. Uh, Cause there's so much what was said about being let out to discover the God of life. I had been a youth pastor, a young adult pastor, and I just finished the, this and speak to you about it as a group. Um, you know, that I and I, I there's a five fold callings, there's those who are called to build the church. Church is this wondrous place, and I believe the church has a new, new call or a new era we're entering into. Not just bring forth priests, prayers, missionaries, fantastic. Every man a missionary, every man a minister, every man a revivalist, but I believe now every man and woman a reformer, hope reformer that has the confidence to go in, not be changed by the structures of society, but go in there and change them. You know the, the doctors, the politicians that aren't afraid to engage the system. I'm not saying everybody has to be high professionals, but every man or Micah says in the last day he will be chief among the mountains, and it says in every man and woman their own vine and fig tree. And my point is, is that I believe there's an equipping in the church, very simple, to equip people to express the kingdom of God and discover God in all of life. And every man a reformer, I did not get the steeper waters dream and sent out with fear. I got sent out with excitement because I had discovered God in the first chamber of love and the God who is the bridegroom and the God who is the judge. But I had not discovered all these forgotten faces of God in all the cities. I didn't go out there to fight a war. I didn't go out just to represent Christ. I went out there to discover Christ where he had been buried in education. I taught at a university. And I said, God is the God of learning. But I, and you fight through some mud. And I said, but Daniel 1.17, he's, God is the God of all knowledge, literature, and understanding. It's my inheritance. And it's not going to be stolen from me. I love education love politics. He's the God of peace in politics. Just because the system's doing it wrong, I go out there to discover God. And I believe that what God is, and I'm making comments on what Michael shared, and he did, again, a better job of telling the story, is what God has invited, I'll just land it for us uh, for this time. I had a dream last night and And I saw this invitation, and I'm going to back up and say yesterday was a a part of my daughter's graduation. I'm just so proud of her, you know. The president of school, which is not important, but to see everybody give her a standing ovation. Just love her well, you know. And, And she gets up, and the other children are brilliant, wonderful. Really, really, I'm just not saying that. Just stunning. I was just in awe the whole time. And because they got up there and they gave their life plan, and I've been their chaplain and others, and I'm sewed into them that they're not just to go out there and win a war and be in a bubble, but they're to go out there and they have an, their own worship, the way they love God back, best back. I do by creating businesses. I love the God of entrepreneurialism. I love the God who builds. I love the God of wealth. Creates wealth and opportunity for others. I've be, been told by others, you're backsliding. Hurtling. I said, nah, I love it. You know? <laughs> but to see these youth get up and for them to not be in survival or tactical mode, but they, they're dream mode. And not just pie in the sky. You get some substance in one after another. This life plan. There'll be adjustments to it. But I have not been at a graduation like that. And the whole crowd was in awe, you know. And They're engaging the system. They're reformers, they've got it in their DNA. And they're looking at what Michael was speaking about the dream the Lord gave us a visit, he gave us about advanced tools to go out and do it. In Jeremiah 50, it talks about the enemy will rise up against you as you advance in this Reformation reality, this Hope Reformation. And it says, but God has a greater arsenal. 50, verse 25. And so there's a greater arsenal he's given our youth and he's giving you. So I have that, inca- that time yesterday with the students. And uh, last night I had a dream and, that it, and the dream was about a life plan for each of you. You know, and we can feel like we've missed parts of it. And, and, and I, I just heard the Lord in the dream. He had a number of you sitting at a table. And there was reasons why you were disqualifying yourself. And I've had the same challenges. To get, be given a seat at the table of honor. And to know my areas where I have not been disciplined. Or I got, you know, uh, you get 55. You need another level of grace. You know, your mistakes seem to weigh on you if you're not careful. And so I saw a number of you where you'd scream. Because he was rolling out a scroll of his plan for your life and who you were. And it was screaming in pain and perplexity and challenge. Because, you know, your greatest fear could come upon you. And that's to hope again. For some. And so there were these hopeful kings and queens in this room. And there's ten hope centers across this Kansas City area in year one. They're going to bring a different message and bring the inheritance forth. This will be called Karen, Kansas City. and get, This will be a city that invites him in. And I, I have in my dreams saw a number of is We need to have a conversation about it. We need to sit at a table and dream together, roll out this blueprint. Because it's a land with giants and fortified cities, but it's a land of the promises, major promises that are to come forth in our hour. So I saw hopeful kings and queens. And I saw those who God was restoring inheritance even now, and we'll finish our time with just speaking and releasing that. But it was a Nehemiah inheritance. There's four types of inheritance in scripture that I've found and I just he showed me the Nehemiah inheritance where there's a city and rubble. And you go in, and he gives you a city inheritance, because the temple was already built, but it was the city that needed to be rebuilt. And I just ask you to ask the Lord about that. But there's was very special, unique worship in this room. People that would love Him best back. You might not get applauded. You know, I wasn't being applauded raising up a janitorial business. I, you know, as the outstanding graduate of my universe, I, don't want, I led the Supreme Court. I, I, you know, so I was supposed to, not gritty, dark, dungy business, but, you know, and I had buddies that were running, you know, high tech. And, and I said, you went the way of glamour, I went the way of grit. But the point was, I love see players. You know, Toothless Ed and different ones. If I can help them... Be plus. Quit drinking as much and be nice to their wives. I've succeeded. I've graduated them, and and so. so I walked into that uh, type of business for a, a reason, and it was my worship. And I'd feel the pleasure of God when we, at the end of the night, have a building clean, and you know, and I could say that last we clean movie theaters that last. You know, theater credit comes down. Says so this theater clean by heart, ladies or us. And, you know, just to do it right. I felt the pleasure of God. Our worship is as unique as the people in this room. It's just not a prayer and a guitar. And we, it's awesome to see somebody moving in their god ordained worship, and how it affects the city. It's brilliant the way God puts the chess pieces together. And so, your worship is very, very, very important. And what I had a picture of last night and Joel helped me just uh, pull we had some of your names and I just speak to a few individuals but I really would like to I know we're taping this and this I would encourage you this is a uh, something the Lord spoke to us about CENTCOM getting the message out the central commander the Lord would come and speak to us about the war over the knowledge of God and hope and then we were to broadcast it and so that's what we do with this. So I encourage you. We'll have it posted, and it'll be something that's communicated abroad. But uh, just there were ones in this room that we might not keep on the tape. That just yeah, uh, we're going to be like those high school graduates that I saw that were from last night's stream, s- saying, "I really got it." You know, when you looked at these young people, you could see they really got it. It's like when Bob Jones and I, and I just finished with this, Bob Jones and I, were with about 600, 6 to 10-year-olds at a conference. And he said, we're to release their callings. I said, they're 6 years old. (laughs) He said, we're to release the hope of their calling. They'll know. I said, all right. You know, you don't tell him no (laughs) anyhow. So they line up and we just do his cross on the forehead and, and just release the hope of their call. And he'd say, Pastor, you know, Ephesians 1. So, yeah, I, I think don't mean we that. We're talking about the callings, you know, and I would want to be praying into, it. Pastor, just touch him. Let the Lord do the work. <laughs> you
0: know? Get your
2: stinking human initiative out of the way. Let the Lord do the work. So, so. Uh, afterwards, you know, and it doesn't look like anything happens to them. They just you know, doodle off. You know, these six-year-olds. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I go up to the first one, and we worship a little bit, and I say, did the Lord speak to you in the hope of your calling? So one said, I'm going to be a nurse. And describes, a pediatric nurse, or, you know, doesn't use that word, but that's what she describes. And I said, did you know that before you got prayed for? No. Then I go to another one and said, I'm I'm to be a teacher of, you know, children that are having special needs, basically. I said, did your mom and dad do that? Did anybody know? No. I said, "Uh, said, did you know that before? No. So there was an impartation and God opened the eyes of their heart to see the hope of their calling. It was profound. So for in this room... There's reformers' callings, and I believe a role that we have is to be scouts, I come back and tell you what we scouted over the hill, and you could do that for us about the, you know, hope, reformation, new nature of Christianity, about a number of things. But also, I believe is to be like Samuel's and to look for the David's, men or women. That are kings and queens, hopeful kings and queens, and that's what I saw coming in the door last night. Was and I spoke to that group last night. Just uh, I saw hopeful kings and queens coming in the door. of These young people—they were kings, they were queens, you know—and they, were, and they had never come in the door. That like we've underestimated this. I have without love, appreciation, and hope. Kings will never come in the door without it. You know, it's his honor who God honors. You know, exalt God honor man and so there's this reality where the Lord wants the Samuels to anoint the Davids called forth as the kings and queens
0: thanks for listening to another podcast from Deeper Waters for more info on Deeper Waters visit bobheartley.org